If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Hello and welcome to the No Need for Prince Charming podcast. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by City Fertility. With a diverse range of sperm donors to choose from and no waiting time, City Fertility are ready to help you fulfill your dreams of growing your family, just like they helped me grow mine. Visit City Fertility today to learn more. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Alison. I would love to start by understanding what led you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess I'm a very organized person by nature. I'm an events planner in my work. Yeah. So I like to have a plan of what's happening when, and that leaches into my personal life. <laughs> um, from a young age, I had assumed that I would be married in my mid to late twenties and I'd be starting to have a family in my early thirties. Um, I left a very toxic relationship on my 30th birthday. Oh, wow. Um, and then went, right you've got two years. If you can't get your act together, if you've not met the right person in two years, you're just going to do it by yourself and that's fine. So I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself in those two years. That was just my self-appointed timeline for no real good reason other than I thought it's a decent chunk of time. And then I gave myself another two years after that. So you got to 32. Um, I got to 32. I was like, oh, I'm still pretty young. Oh, we'll see. So I added a bonus two years and at 34, I said, right, no, you've had your four years now uh, and contacted my GP and said, I want to be a solo mum. What do I do? Yeah. Uh, And she recommended me to a, well, she Google searched, which was interesting to find a fertility specialist. She recommended me to one, called them. They said, oh no, he's retiring, but all his patients are going to this person. Yeah. Um, Get your GP to just update your referral. So I went back to my GP and said, no need to Google anymore. This is my person. Please update my referral. So from there, met with my fertility specialist. Um, She doesn't normally deal with solo mothers by choice. She normally deals with people who have been through cancer treatments and are then trying to conceive. So I think I was maybe a bit of a a nice case for her because I didn't have any fertility issues. Mm. Um, So we did two rounds of IUI which were unsuccessful in one round of IVF. And now I have a three-year-old son. So wow. that's the short version there. 
And so when you made the decision that this is what you were going to do, did you did you tell your friends and family? What were their reactions like? Um, I told my friends first. I've got a mixed group of close girlfriends. Some have partners and kids and some have decided not to go down that route. Um, most of them were pretty pretty supportive and thought, yep, great idea. I actually had one friend say, oh, no, don't do it. Oh, really? You're fine. You're, you're young. You'll meet someone. And I said, oh, oh, yeah, sure. And I just moved on from that conversation. I didn't <laughs> go back and ask their opinion again. Um, so that was quite interesting. With my family, I took a slightly different route. I, My dad's very logical and, and procedure-based as I am. So I had worked up a spreadsheet of yeah. finances, of drive times, of the to buy list, the projection for three years worth of pay rises and cost of living increases to show that I could do this. Um, I presented him my spreadsheet and he said, yep, good idea. So he was sold. And mum was, I think, a bit taken aback because she'd also had the same assumption I'd had of, you know, you you meet the man, you get married, you have your kids and you, you go along because that's what she'd done and what her parents had done. Um, but I think the idea of having a grandchild quickly got her across the line of okay yeah we can do that that that'll work yeah good not your choice I'm sort of just informing you out of politeness um but you're gonna be a grandmother whether you like it or not so exactly I really hope you're gonna like it but uh this is happening so (laughs) and uh the only other person I was worried about telling was my grandmother Uh, she's in her 90s um quite religious has very set views of the world and how things go which was my understanding of her thoughts and I told her about it and she said oh like and I can't remember that there was a celebrity at the time that was doing the same thing she said oh like her that's really good I was like oh thanks Nana that sounds lovely (laughs) much older generation can really surprise people with their reactions can't they yeah I I learned two things I learned that she's not as straight down the line and this is how it must go. And I also learned that she's keeping up with like the, the popular news. So <laughs> blown away on two accounts. You know, all your celebrities, Grandma. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> nice surprise. And so when it came to choosing your sperm donor, what did you go through and what was the process for that? Yeah, sure. I think I was lucky in the timing and that I was doing all of this in 2019, the start of 2019. So COVID hadn't hit yet. Um, so there was... At that time, quite a few sperm donors available for Australian local donors, um, all unknown donors. So I went through Melbourne IVF. Um, They sent me the link to the kind of like Tinder for sperm, it felt (laughs) like, to the website where you look at the profiles and pick who you like the sound of. Um, For my IUI, I had one donor picked out. I initially really liked their profile and what they talked about with their upbringing and their values and who they are, and they also had a really good genetic medical history part to their profile. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, then to go to the IVF, I had to pick a different donor, so I just went through it all again. Um, and that time I went in going, look at the medical part first because that's okay. practically the most important in my mind, and then look at the rest of their profile of are they a good person, do they have good values, are they open to connection in the future, um, and I found a really good match there and luckily first job first try done brilliant (laughs) very lucky and did you get any other embryos with that first try yes um turns out so every time I did a cycle I had hyperstimulation 
Right. So that's fun. Um, and produced boatloads of eggs. I think the first time there was something like 26 follicles and then the second time it was much the same. Um, and I ended up with six healthy embryos, so oh. I only used one. And unfortunately, because of family limits, I was the 10th family for my donor in Victoria. So I couldn't donate the remaining embryos. I've decided for myself that I was happy with just one child. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't also donate them to science, which I was kind of hoping as a last-ditch thing that I might be able to do that. But, yeah, they said no because it's a donor who was up to his 10th family and something about the consent. They just said, no, you can't do that. And I thought, well, that sucks because I really want to pay it forwards and I, I don't like things going to waste. So unfortunately the remainder of the embryos did get destroyed. Um, but I did go on to do a couple of rounds of egg donation because I still felt that urge to pay it forwards. Oh, you did. Okay. So how old was Austin when you decided to do egg donation? Uh, I think he was four or five months old when the clinic had contacted me. I can't remember what it was about, but at the same time I said, oh, can I Oh, it was when I was up talking about donating the embryos and they'd said no. And I said, well, can I donate my eggs? Yeah. And they said, well, not yet. You you have to wait until your child's at least six months old so we know that you've thought about this properly. I'm like, <laughs> I have thought about it properly. I've been thinking about it the whole time I was pregnant, but okay, sure. So I waited a few more months and then I actually met someone who was looking for an egg donor through okay. a friend, yeah, um, through a neighbour actually. And so I did one round of donation to her, so a obviously a known recipient. Um, we went through all the counselling, all of that together. We still keep in contact today. She now has a lovely baby boy. Mm. Um, and I felt like, and I, my mind's a bit wonky, but I felt like I'd cheated the people that were waiting for eggs that were already on the list. That was my original plan to do anonymous donations. So I went back to my fertility specialist and said, oh, let's do one more round. I want to do an anonymous donation as well. And again, Luckily for them, not so luckily for me, with hyperstimulation, they scored boatloads of uh, follicles. So I got that donation got split between two families. Okay. So are there rules like there are with, with sperm? There's obviously a family limit. I know it changes by state, but what, what are the rules with egg donation? Yeah, it's exactly the same. So legally in Victoria, you can donate up to, you can create, sorry, up to 10 families. Okay. As a donor, you can elect to have less families created if you'd like um so a sperm donor could say obviously they've got more sperm than we have follicles generally so they can say yep do the 10 or they can say nope I only want to donate to a maximum of five families um it's completely optional um I wasn't sure how many follicles I was going to get so I just said yeah do as, as many as you can yeah uh but yeah after one round I only unfortunately got to help three families all up with my known recipient but I feel like that's paid it forward to a degree yeah it's amazing the rules probably are more age limit and things like that to be able to donate yeah yeah the limit the preferable limit I don't know if it's a hard and fast rule for my specialist was 35 mm -hmm. at the time of donation I was 36 but she said you're just an, a follicle producing machine we'll get the board to sign off on it we want your your eggs we want your so eggs. <laughs> I got the got the exception twice to do donations um, and by that point I had a, a one-year-old, so going under general anaesthetic was just a lovely nap. <laughs> Didn't even think of that. Yeah. And someone serves you tea and biscuits after it's just, oh, it's a great afternoon. Oh, so, yeah. 
So you've got three other families that you've helped create already. So both of the other two egg recipients went on to have children as well? Uh, one has so far. So the clinic notifies me whenever there's a live birth. Oh, wow. okay. um, but then it's the same as with a, a sperm donor. So I've registered to Vata. If they do the same, there's the chance of connection in the future. Mm-hmm. The other family, I haven't heard yet. So I'm assuming they're either still working towards a pregnancy or working towards a live birth. And it was similar to the sperm donation. Did you have to fill out a form with all the information? So they're like doing Tinder for, for eggs. Yes, as well? Tinder for eggs. I was on there. <laughs> And have you got much of a relationship with the known recipient that you used and her child? Yeah, yeah, we keep in contact um, just by messenger. We we message quite often just to check how each other are. We're Facebook friends, so we see each other's photos and updates. Um, every couple of months or so, we try to have a face-to-face update. Um, she's got two kids, so one from donation and one from her and her husband, um, and she gets to see my son as well, so it's yeah, we've, we've talked a lot about how we want to keep that connection going. We don't need to be in each other's back pockets, but nice to have that connection. So also her son and my son both understand who they are, where they came from and what their genetic links are, mm-hmm. um, which is important to both of us. And you've started having those conversations with your son now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. From birth, we, we go, we've got, book, got all the books and the, the chats around, you know, we don't have a daddy in our house and He's a bit cheeky about it because he'll ask with a sort of a sly grin of, where's the daddy in our house? And I said, oh, there's, there's no daddy in our house, darling. It's just you and me. And he goes, laughs his head off and goes, yeah, just us. <laughs> so, yeah. So I guess you've got that appetite to have the relationship with the other egg children. Are you doing the <laughs> same with like trying to find his sperm siblings? Sperm siblings. But yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've heard the term, the term dibblings, but I always have to pause before I say it to make sure I'm going to say it properly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am hoping for connection moving forwards. I've, for him registered to VATA, I know that there's, from Melbourne IVF, through the, through the family audits they do, that there's quite a few families out there. We are the 10th. Mm. There's, I think, six other live children, which sounds weird to say live children, but six other live children from our donor. Um, there's five girls and one other boy mm. the other boy was born the same month as my son same year um but none of them have reg- registered to vata yet so i'm just waiting and hoping it's on my it's on my very long to-do list for, for me to get around to do that my daughter's yeah. the oldest from our donor so that kind of helps me procrastinate which is not ideal but yeah <laughs> i need to get around to that and so once you had him and you were home all by yourself how did you find that kind of first little bit as new mum all by yourself um it was interesting because it it wasn't normal every day he was born April 2020 so full swing of COVID starting to really ramp up of lockdowns and all that Um, I was very very fortunate that my parents came and moved in with me for the first six months oh great that was brilliant because I I don't know how I would have survived otherwise um they did so much for me with such amazing supports. I had ups and downs. I had my, I had a C-section and a week and a half after he was born, my wound reopened. So <gasps> that was fun. Um, trying to go back in and essentially having the operation again. Wow. I have um, never heard of that reopening. Yeah. Yeah. It can happen. It's terrifying. I woke up after a nap and there was just blood all over me. I said, like, oh, what has happened here? Gosh. <laughs> Um, and even the 
it took a while for the hospital to accept that yes they would have to do the surgery again they keep going oh oh there's just a bit of a hematoma hematoma sorry can't pronounce hematoma under there it'll be fine it'll go down your body will absorb it um and my gp was cleaning it and dressing it every couple of days for me this isn't going to close this is going to take months and you've got a newborn she's like call the hospital tell them you're coming back tell them you're not going through emergency that you're just going to rock up and they're going to let you in um (laughs) and if you need any help call me so okay I went back to hospital and the surgeon or the obstetrician that delivered my son looked at my stomach and went oh oh I've not seen that before that's not meant to be like that thanks (laughs) (laughs) made me feel very confident yeah. Um, and they got me back the next day and reoperated. So that was interesting. Restart my don't drive for however many weeks and don't pick up anything heavy schedule. But uh gosh, given the timing, you're so lucky that your parents were there then. Oh, oh. definitely. And and at that point as well, I had decided to stop breastfeeding, go to formula because I was on a lot of antibiotics, which was upsetting my son's tummy. So I, I just I remember just sitting in the lounge room one night going, No, I'm done. There's a tin of, tin of formula in the pantry. I've got all the bottles as just in case yeah. I'm doing that, which was perfect timing. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that happened it was, to go back was to hospital. forced decision for you, though. Yeah, I think there was, a, there was just so much going on at the time. You know, there was COVID, there was sore nipples, there was antibiotics, there was wound pain, and it was one thing I could do for myself to take that little bit of pressure off. And yeah. he went straight for the bottle. He loved it, and I was so much happier as well. So... I'm all for breastfeeding, but I'm also all for formula feeding. It's yeah, yeah, I think I had a tin of formula at home as a just in case as well. Because especially if you're by yourself, what if feeding doesn't work how you planned it to? Because I think everyone yeah. just thinks they're going to latch on, it'll be fine. But for so many people, it doesn't work like that. And it just helps take the pressure off to know you've got a backup if you need it. And if you do, you do. Yeah. You don't, you don't. But good to have it there. Yeah, definitely. And I'm a control freak. And it, no, I think really? at some point, just a smidge. Um, <laughs> I think it would have driven me insane that I wasn't able to fully see how much is he eating? Is he eating enough? So it does give me that little bit of an insight. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was one of the hardest things for me with breastfeeding is just you've got no idea how much they're getting, if anything. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so after your parents left, how did that go? Uh, They left slowly because I wasn't dealing with it very well. Okay. Um, I experienced a terrible bout of postnatal depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I have experienced depression before in my life, but never anxiety. That was a new one for me. It's not fun. Mm. Um, so they started doing like one night at my house, one night away, and slowly transitioned to the point where they'd come and stay maybe one or two nights a week, and eventually they'd they'd gone all the way. And by that point, I was also getting ready to go back to work. Okay. So. Yeah, it was it was a hard transition and terrifying of now I really am the adult. I'm the adult in charge of that child. <laughs> I'm it's My spreadsheet just covered the financials, not the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it was a slow, difficult transition. Um but and I'm glad I'm through it. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. You've obviously decided now that you're only having one. Did you decide that going into it or was that after that experience that you made that decision? I think I always had an inkling that I'd be a a one and done 
if mm-hmm. I was to have a child by myself. Um, logistically, I don't want to be outnumbered. Yep. I think it, it's hard to manage one for me to manage one child running a muck in a supermarket. Could I manage two? I don't know. Um, could I manage doing two bedtimes at once? I, I don't know. I'm loving that I'm able to devote all my time and energy to my son um, and also still have time and energy for myself. I think that's a big self-care thing that I chose for myself. Um, but, yeah, once getting through the newborn stage, I think that really solidified me, solidified it in my mind of, no, I'm one and done, I'm good. Um, and to be honest, the baby stage wasn't my favourite. Um, my favourite is now I'm loving three. Three is insane, but three is so much fun. Toddlerhood is just so much fun. (laughs) And how are you managing the whole working mum juggle? Um, I think that was my silver lining of COVID. So when I went back to work, we were all working from home full time. Yeah. So I could take my son to family daycare at a reasonable hour. I could pick him up at a reasonable hour. I didn't have to run back and forth between the office and home. My parents could come and watch him in the house on a couple of days a week and I was here as well just in case you know the control freak wants to make sure that they're <laughs> minding him properly um and then our work still is two or three days a week in the office and the rest at home so I'm still incredibly lucky to have that flexibility I've got a manager who's amazingly supportive she's got kids of her own she just says do what you need to do yeah you know as long as your work's getting done she doesn't mind when I log in or log off um yeah, I think I've been incredibly, incredibly lucky with my work and I I love my job. I've never had a day where I've hated my job or not wanted to go to work, so that helps yeah. as well. So it's my nice time to speak to adults and not talk about the wonky donkey or Thomas Tank Engine um, and feel a sense of achievement that isn't just, yes, we had a bath and the, the bathroom's not covered in water. It's, yeah. Those achievements are good too, but it's nice to have my previous life uh career achievement and so is it everything that you thought it was going to be um I think there's a lot of things that I'm still excited for to come but I think on a day-to-day basis it is pretty much what I thought it was going to be the baby stage was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be um I didn't anticipate troubles with my wound or the depression anxiety or COVID, the whole COVID shenanigans, that was not on the books. Are you not um, psychic? Why did you not see that coming? Oh, I just missed that one. It was, you know, it flitted past. But, yeah, I think I don't know if I'd planned to do it at a different time because of COVID. COVID made it hard with lockdowns and trying to get to see medical professionals was hard. But then it was good because everyone was at home. There was no pressure to go <clears throat> visit people or show off your baby. It was you can just stay home in your pajamas all day because that's what everyone's doing anyway. Yeah. Um, I think so yeah, COVID did have some silver linings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely the best thing for me because we've got the same age children, obviously. But yeah, otherwise I would have been doing like twenty things every day. We would have had no routine. Yeah. It would be disastrous. But I had no choice. Couldn't leave the house. So yeah, yeah. Control did... freaks like us. It was we were. <laughs> it was pretty good for us. Yeah, yeah, routines couldn't get messed up. No one was going for coffees in the afternoon or brunches. You just you were home. <laughs> Didn't have to work around nap time. There was nothing to work around it. Exactly. And so if you look back now, is there anything you think you would have done differently knowing what you know? Um, 
I potentially would have had a crack at a natural birth. Okay. Um, I think I was a bit scared. I, I did a year and a half of midwifery. Oh, gosh, I can't count how many years ago. I don't want to count how many years ago. And I kept passing out in the delivery room. <laughs> Maybe not so the best career path for you, no. <laughs> no. And the midwives strongly encouraged me to rethink the decision to study midwifery. <laughs> like, we don't really want to be having to worry about you and our patients. Yeah, it's a fair call. Um, so I went back to events management, which suited me a lot better. So, yeah, I think that traumatised me a bit. And then when he was measuring to be a really big baby, all I kept thinking about was tearing and prolapses and, and just there was just too much that could go wrong. And I've you also watched much. far too much Grey's Anatomy, so I know all the things that can go wrong. I thought, nah, you, you just a surgery is easy. You just you slice everything open, you open it up, you take it out and you sew it back up and it's fine. And no, that's not how a C-section works, but I know that now. <laughs> For most people it's pretty much that though, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's really all I'd change. And I'd probably calm down a bit. I think when he was a baby, I was going a little bit crazy with recording everything, of making sure exactly how many hours is he sleeping, like to the minute. Lost my tiny mind. Yeah. Um, exactly how long he was awake for, how many wet nappies, how many poo nappies, how much was he drinking to like the five mil mark. Um, <clears throat> and I was logging it all in his book and I don't really know why I did that though and I think it just made me feel like I had some form of control with all the overwhelm okay yeah I'm glad I wasn't the only one because I look back now going what were you doing why were you like watching the clock like a crazy person (laughs) I think you're just so focused on trying to keep this tiny human alive and then if someone had asked you you wouldn't be able to remember so if you write it all down then you know exactly what it is yeah that is true I did always fear the questions from from the maternal child health nurse of, am I doing it properly? Mm-hmm. Um, and now I just don't tell her when I know I'm not doing it properly. <laughs> <laughs> and if we go back a little bit to um, the anxiety and depression, did you see that coming on or did someone else sort of identify that for you? Just thinking if anyone else is kind of in a similar situation, what would maybe help them identify it then? Yeah. Um... I think it was a combination of me and my mum coming to the the realisation and the acceptance at the same time. My parents are quite old school. They're quite the mindset of just feel happy, just think about happy things. That's that's their experience that nice of and easy. depression. And I feel like my dad actually said that out loud to me at one point and I may have yelled back in his face, I can't effing feel happy. <laughs> that's the problem um so I think it was when they were transitioning to go when it really kicked in I think I was quietly panicking with all my note-taking and worrying but when they started leaving I just remember sobbing as they were leaving saying don't leave me don't leave me alone I had this pit of my stomach feeling that I was never going to see them again and they were abandoning me and I just had to pause and go this isn't right. This isn't rational. And it, and remember what you went through a couple of years ago when you had a, a, a big episode of depression. I was like, this is what that feels like. But then there was also the layer of why does my heart feel like it's racing and it's beating out of my chest and I'm standing here just doing dishes? Yeah. Like I, there is no reason to be in this fight or flight 
panic when nothing's going wrong, nothing's urgent, there's nothing to do. I'm just standing here and it's happening and I feel like I need to go run somewhere and do something. Yeah. And that's not normal. I'm a control freak, but I'm fairly casual about my control freakishness. Um, so I, I just said to mum and dad, I said, I, I need to go see the GP. I need to get this fixed. Um, so I went to my GP and she did the mental health assessment sheet. Mm-hmm. She said, yep, yep, you, you can go see the psychologist. We'll give you the, the 10 sessions, uh, which was quite handy. So I just went to her once a week for the first few weeks and then it went to once a fortnight and then we dropped off after that once I'd felt like I'd moved through most of it and had tools to help move through the rest. Um, luckily, I didn't need a, need any medication. I'm, I'm not anti-medication. I'm just glad that um, I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I would have if I needed it. Uh, but I think my dad saw me go through where I was at and saw the improvement with seeing the psychologist that it helped him understand a little bit more. I don't think he fully gets it. I think my mum gets it a bit better than he does. Um, but, yeah, it was... I really had to pause and, and think about why do I feel like this? What is going on? Is this a real feeling and thought or is this something that my mind is doing on its own? Yeah. Um, and I think having the experience previously of of knowing it, it, it took me a little bit to recognise it, but I was like, no, no, I know what this is and I know what I need to do to get help. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing, get help. Like don't don't suffer through it. It's not worth it just get help, speak to someone, anyone, GP, friend, family, but that that'd be my biggest message of if you're not feeling right, just get help. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely shouldn't feel like your heart is racing just when you're washing the dishes, that's for sure. So No, no. And I think it was just bottles. I don't think it was even difficult dishes. Yeah. <laughs> just interrupting this episode for a quick word from our sponsors. Not only have City Fertility sponsored this episode, they are also extending a very generous 20% off discount for all of my listeners. That's 20% off IUI, IVF, ICSI, as well as six months complimentary egg, sperm and embryo storage. If you're just starting out or about to undergo treatment to make your baby dreams come true, head to the show notes for my discount code and a link to their website for more information. So if anyone is considering if this journey is the right one for them, what advice would you give them? Um, I'd probably say to them, look into it, ask single mothers that you know of or you've seen just ask the question how they've going how they've done it what have been their hurdles um have a bit of a well it sounds a bit bit wanky but have a bit of a deep think around and a, a visualization of what you think your life would be like and and what are your real not must-haves but your real wants in life like the way I see it you can find a partner anytime in your life whether you've got a child or not but if a child is your priority unfortunately for women there is a a time limit um so yeah you've really got to prioritize your wants and your timelines um and then you can always do the same thing I did and write up a really good excel spreadsheet um look at what your income is look at the cost of childcare. it's shocking but you just got to do it um which you know, it can be scary looking at the financial side of things, but it also can be a comfort going, no, this is actually quite doable. Mm. Um, you know, women are strong, strong, strong people. I think we don't give ourselves or each other enough credit for what we can achieve. So lean on the other women in your life and, yeah, 
do what's right for you. Have you managed to build a bit of a, a village around you of women for that sort of support? Um, I think so. I mean, I've got, I'm slowly starting to build my other solo mum by choice village. I'm trying to, we've got our Facebook group, so I'm trying to go to as many catch-ups as I can, but my son keeps getting sick, which doesn't help. Oh, convenient, yes. <laughs> Um, but outside of that, I do have a really good village. I've got a great group of girlfriends from high school. Um, we're still catch up on the regular. I've got an amazing family and all of my work colleagues and my boss. Yeah. I've got, when I think about it, 90% of the people in my life are strong, independent women that just, mm. yeah. Excellent supports. And what's been the thing that has surprised you the most? after going through this um oh, I think there's probably two things I think the assumptions people make when they meet you and when they know you've got a child I think it's it's always surprising when they just go oh so where's your husband what's he do I'm like no just us or even tradies if they come to the house for something they always want to know where's you. they see that I've got a child so they're like oh where's you, where's your husband does he need to be here for this decision no, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's the assumptions people make. That's the first surprise. And the second one is a little bit, it sounds a little bit braggy, but just how much my son loves me. Hmm. It just surprises me every day that he wakes up and he's just ecstatic to see me, which makes, I'm obviously ecstatic to see him too. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just, you get this rush of, not adrenaline, but this rush of love and it's just, I don't know how to describe it, just the cuddles and the every time he says, I love you, mummy, it's just so hard. It's, yeah, I struggle for words for it, I think, yeah, just the the depth of his love for me. I always knew, you know, you, your kid's going to love you because that tends to be the way it goes. But, yeah, to experience it for myself has just been amazing. And what are you most looking forward to with him as he grows older? think I'm looking forward to trying to bring him up to be a good person I think trying to teach him all the basics you know the cooking the cleaning finances how to plan a holiday let's <laughs> go on a holiday the holidays definitely yeah um, but I think just watching him grow and watching him learn that's that's what I look forward to the most he's already changed and learned so much in his first three years but I think as his comprehension and understanding of the world increases, it'll just continue to be amazing. Well, I'm so excited to see what the future holds for you too and hoping to to follow on on your journey as he grows older and thank hopefully you. meet you in real life at a catch-up soon. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank Love you so you. much for sharing your story tonight, Alison. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.